This is episode 14 of the No Limits podcast. This episode is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfowl. Tangle Free has been making the finest quality waterfowl hunting gear and accessories since 1972. Everything they make is designed and tested by hunters for hunters, and every piece of gear has a specific purpose and function with the goal of making your limited time of field more successful and enjoyable. After the show, head over to TangleFree.com and enter the promo code PASSION at checkout, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, at checkout, and you'll get free shipping on your entire order. That's a great deal when you stock up on bulky, expensive-to-ship items like full-body decoys and blinds. They have a clearance sale going on right now, so you can save even more. TangleFree.com, TangleFree.com, TangleFree.com. My guests today are two guys that I have been wanting to have on the podcast since day one, Josh Teff and John David Blatt of Falco Outfitters in northern Oklahoma. You guys have seen the amazing lodge that was just completed, absolutely beautiful place. The content on their social media pages is phenomenal. The way that they run their operation is first class, and after my conversation with Josh and John David, it's easy to understand why, because these guys are first class as well. We talk about the Falco concept and how that came about from a chance meeting after church. We talk about how they, with the help of another business partner, totally trusted in God and relied on their faith to guide them through this process. And to finally see the outcome of that trust is just amazing. You know, so many times I've thought of doing something I wanted to do or try, or just take a different direction in life. Maybe some of you guys have been there too, where we just, we don't act. We analyze it from every different possible angle and perspective, just afraid to make the wrong decision. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And we don't act and we wound up, we wound up squandering opportunities and to see the faithfulness of these guys manifest into a place where they can not only share in some wonderful wonderful hospitality and wing shooting, but also be a living testament to what God can and will do in your life when you faithfully follow and trust him. It's so good. Uh, Josh and John David talk about the whole process of making Falco what it is now. And they also share a little bit about what it will be, which I am super, super excited about. These guys have a great story to tell, so please welcome my guests and friends, Josh Teff and John David Blatt of Falco Outfitters. It makes everything so much well, I want to thank you guys for, I know how busy y'all are and everything else. So I just want to thank y'all for, you know, jumping on with me. The It's uh, what I was just talking to John Dave about the, the lodge and just the amount of detail and time. And, and it's just a beautiful place. So I just want to throw that out there, man. Y'all did an awesome, awesome job on that. Thank you. Now, John, where where did you grow? Where, are you as much of a rabbit hunter as not rabbit like rabid 
um, Hunter as everybody else that I see on that page is? Uh, yeah, man. I My dad was a duck guide my whole life. Mm. And uh, so I grew up doing it um, from when I was little. I mean, killed my first duck when I was five. And mm. uh, I had never stopped. <laughs> you know I, now are you are you in like did you the area where you are now in oklahoma has that been home for you forever or? man i'm from southeast arkansas I'm, my family farms in dumas arkansas oh okay that's right that's right yeah so my oh, dad and dumas yeah yeah so my you dad may was, know yeah who? um the whitmores in st charles the whitmores sounds super familiar st charles is a little further north yeah 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 that's right um, but yeah, that sounds real familiar. Why, they got a place up there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. We filmed a couple of episodes with the Whitmores. Just, just good Christian okay. people, man. Just love being around them. Great family. Yeah, man. My dad, uh, got, uh, he, his partners and we had a place called Delta Wings and, uh, his partners in Delta Wings owned Prairie Wings. Mm-hmm. And so dad, uh, got it at Prairie Wings and then, and then we, uh, started Delta Wings a little later. Um, so yeah, when I was, when I was guiding, it was, I was at Delta Wings and gotcha. then, uh, Aaron, our partner got it at wildlife farms for 15 years, 14 years. And for about the last three, um, I would go down and help him guide whenever certain people would come in. Right. Um, anyway. But I, yeah, I, I hunt about every mm-hmm. every day I can, even outside outside of Falco before Falco. Now, Josh, you don't hunt though, right? No, no. I just like uh, <laughs> I just like to go and watch, watch. Brian cook. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all like that. Uh, now, Josh, I didn't even I didn't know we were recording already. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been. I sneak that in there where nobody has a chance to get nervous. So you said we could see each other. We're we gonna be able to see each other or no? No, just no. Recording. I'm gonna okay. turn that off just in case we got a spotty internet connection or something where it doesn't Cancel shut us off. off. You don't want to see me anyway. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I look like uh, somebody told me I look like Gandalf without the hair and the hat. I've seen plenty of plenty of. <laughs> shots of you before yeah, yeah. i don't know what it, you look like it's it's sad it's rough man but josh would you uh were you guiding before falco yeah man i um i was well so i was i was managing a club a private club mostly kind of focused on fly fishing but then when they hired me back in it was 2010 they hired me to kind of help them build up the hunting operation in the club and um you know doing that we ended up we ended up being able to lease a really cool property over around tulsa and one of our big clients subleased it from us and so through guiding over there i was i I took some trips with a friend to buddy hunt out further west where we are now and you know the first time we go out there and we see 10,000 ducks in a dry field in the afternoon. And I'm like, well, we must've been on the right spot today, you know? Right. Ain't going to be like that tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's a fluke deal. I mean, you drive out to this part of Oklahoma, you, you might've seen it, Joe. I mean, it's just, you don't think waterfowl at all. I mean, it doesn't look the part. There's not much habitat as far as 
food and water, but I mean, there's food and there's water and there's a lot of both, but there's nothing where you've got like true duck habitat or what we, most guys would consider. Yeah. Like flooded timber and all that stuff. Yeah. Flooded timber, moist soil, you know, any of that stuff, there's just none of it out there really. And so, uh, you know, went back the second time and, and shot 94 geese with, uh, with an out, another outfitter out there with my family on Thanksgiving. Um, and I'm like, holy moly. And then, you know, keep going back, and it's like four or five times, right? Four or five times. All right, now times. it's a trend. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, there's something to this part of the state of Oklahoma that, you know, I'd never heard of. And I've been as hardcore a waterfowl hunter as anybody for the past, you know, 15, 15 plus 20 years, you know. And it's like it's blowing me away that I haven't heard of a big commercial presence. Now, there are some – there's – a handful of small outfitters um i say small because they just don't charge as much they're not small in the in the sense that they don't hunt a lot of people mm-hmm. but there's no um you know what we would consider arkansas style commercial hunting lodge out there right so um yeah i mean this kind of spins off into the story about how we got started um but john david and aaron so John David and I had uh, he he actually met my brother before he met me, and my brother Jeremy's kind of responsible for pretty much all of our uh, marketing and branding stuff. I mean, he did our logo and he designed the website, and he's done a bunch of Instagram stories and marketing releases and stuff like that for us. And he's like he's incredible, talented. So oh, he's super so talented. Yeah, so he. He did, he did all that, and then, and that's actually, you know, how John David met him um, through using him for some branding and marketing and design work. And so we had – we actually went to church together. I don't know if John David ever recognized – ever noticed me there, but I noticed him every time he came, and it was one of those deals where when I'd see him, you know, he's got a beautiful family, and I'd see him at church, and I'd just look at him and be like, man, that's, he just looks like somebody I should know or somebody that <laughs> – I would get along with, and it was really weird. It was really strange because it was just you once know, we, we never locked talked eyes. To each other. That's right. So oh, we, cue uh, the soft music. Oh, I know that's right. <laughs> so you know, I never met him the whole, all those years or whatever. We went to church together, and uh, and but all at the same time, you know, I'd had people ask me if I knew him and if I knew Aaron, and of course, Aaron's dad. Um, trained dogs and, and that's who I used as a dog trainer for a long time. So I knew who Aaron was, but I'd never met him either. Well, long story short, we're at the barbershop one day and I, I go in there or he comes in, I'm in the chair and he comes in and he looks at me and he goes, you're Josh Teff. And I said, you're John David Blagg. And then, you know, of course that was kind of the beginning of our friendship. And so I invited him to come over and, and hunt at the place we had in Tulsa and we just hit it off, and and then uh, and then not very long after that, um, what do you think? What was it about a year? Was it a year? It was about a there? year. Yeah, yeah. Um, he and Aaron were yeah we, hunting, and go ahead, yeah. you can tell them that part of the story. Yeah, it's, so Aaron. By the way, first of all, Josh, like he said, everybody used to ask me, "Do you know Josh Taff?" Y'all just seem like y'all know each other and y'all got to know each other if you don't. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I ran into him at the barbershop and of course I had stalked him on social media and all that. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I ran into him and I was like, you're Josh Taft. He's like, yep. And that was it. So, uh, 
I go hunting with him, like he said. We become buddies outside of hunting. And Aaron and I, uh, Wildlife Farms, where we had guided, Aaron guided longer than me. Um, I just kind of helped part-time. It privatized, so it was owned by the coach, Bear Bryant, his son. Mm-hmm. Paul yeah, Bryant I've heard Jr. of him. Yeah, Paul <laughs> Bryant Jr. Uh, owned the place. Yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, Paul Bryant Jr. owned it. Well, he also owns Bryant Bank, and he privatized the lodge that – that was commercial at the time just for Bryant bank customers. So we had a, a book of clientele already. And, and also my dad had a book of clientele that he had quit guiding. And, uh, so Aaron and I had been kicking around the idea of doing this on our own. And, uh, I don't know if you like to Turkey hunt, but Turkey hunting is like my number one. Like, I mean, duck hunting is a close, second but turkey mm-hmm. hunting i'd give it all up turkey hunt and when i'm turkey hunting and a turkey's gobbling i'm not thinking about anything except for that turkey well aaron and i are up against a tree back to back on a tree and we have about four turkeys gobbling coming in and aaron looks at me and said man i don't know like how to explain it but the lord is telling me that we got to text josh teff right now to go have lunch on monday and I was like, dude, there's three turkeys gobbling right here. Like, let's talk about that later. <laughs> the Lord and, is telling me yeah. to shoot one of these <laughs> yeah, three. Yeah, that's right. The Lord's <laughs> telling us two different things right now. <laughs> but uh, he's like, no, man, I'm serious. Like, text him. So these turkeys are gobbling. And, you know, I pull my phone out and I text Josh. And uh, anyway, they were, they were four jakes, so we didn't even kill a turkey. But... The following Monday, we sit down with a plate of barbecue with Josh and, uh, you know, the basically the conceptual idea of Falco started right there. And uh, so anyway, Josh. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting because, I mean, the timing of all this too, Joe, was just like, it was crazy. I mean, I was, I had managed the that club for um, about six, a little over six years been there for almost eight and um you know just some things happened it was just my time to go and i'd already kind of let the owner know that i was going to be leaving but i had no clue what i was going to do i mean i had no idea and i I told him in march that it was probably going to be something i'd be doing and and then april these two you know text me to go have lunch and then literally within a week of that another guy um, kind of hit me up about doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, like this is, and they're both completely out of the blue. I mean, I had no clue what I was going to do. The idea of starting an outfitting business never even entered my mind because it would kind of seem like one of those things that was a little too far out of reach because I'm not one of those guys that's going to, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to dip my toe in and try. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm going full right, on, right. full steam ahead and it's going right. to be something substantial. So, you know, if being able to find, the resources to do something, you know, on that, of that scale seemed kind of out of reach to me. And I, it, you know, just never really thought about it. So after that though, I was like, okay, good Lord's trying to tell me something. So I told this guy that I was gonna, um, you know, try to reach out to some people and whatnot. Well, long story short, um, I had a relationship with a guy for a, for a few years. We were friends, but we weren't. We didn't talk much. You know, it was, it was like we'd see each other, talk to each other a few times a year. I mean, it was always really close. You know, when we did, but we weren't like really 
close like on a weekly or monthly basis like see each other every now and then and mm-hmm. anyway he was kind of one of the first guys that i thought of or probably the first guy i thought of and i went and had lunch with him and it opened up the door for us to have you know everything we needed to to uh start the business and so i called up john david and aaron and told them you know we like the situation and i, I think at first they were just like they didn't believe me <laughs> because it was kind of <laughs> one of those things that seemed too good to be true. And honestly, to this day, it still does. I mean, our situation seems too good to be true, but um, it's just the good Lord's blessing, man, is all yeah. it is. And, and we don't take it for granted. So um, we, we, you know, kind of started working towards getting the first season going. And, and we had uh, what we needed going into the 17-18 season. So we spent, we spent the 17-18 season – out on the uh well we bought the property first so started the business in september i left my other job and we started the business in september and then uh, october we purchased the piece of property that we sit on now and it's a 320 acre piece um in north central oklahoma and uh, just north of the town of garber and so uh we bought it so you know obviously we didn't have any it was just raw property out there so we um we got a travel trailer and set up shop out there you know for the waterfowl season and and kind of used that season to to start building relationships with landowners and gaining access to to ground and and doing all that stuff and then uh broke ground on the lodge April of 18 and we're in it operating by the beginning of the 18 season which is crazy because you know you've seen photos joe but i mean like i had my uncle and a couple friends over there and they and he's followed me the whole time you know on social media and he's like man and everybody says this so like, just the photos can't even begin to do it justice you know of how cool the the layout is and and you know the way the the property's kind of set up so um so yeah you know that's kind of how things happened and Joey, you know how sometimes when you pray for clarity on something, mm-hmm. God, he doesn't always give you clarity because I think sometimes he's just trying to be like, look, just stay faithful. Uh, God didn't just give us clarity. It's like he opened the door and then kicked our butts in the room. Right. We didn't really have a choice. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, it, it was so clear what we were supposed to do and, and that we were supposed to move forward with it that we didn't, even, we didn't have a choice. I mean, it, we we had the desire and we wanted to do it, but he just laid it out for us in every aspect, from the financial to the property that we bought was the very first piece of property that we looked at, mm. and uh, and you know it was just the perfect property. What we what it was a dream property for what we were wanting to do. Yeah, when you when it's when it's clear, it's clear. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it's not like, okay, I'm going to make this clear for you. No, I'm going to remove all the reasons why in your head you think you shouldn't do it. And then the only thing that you're left with is the, the path I want you on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, great. that's exactly right. It was like, that was my the first thing that I prayed for was like, if this is not what I'm, because, you know, I mean, this is what I'm into. It's like my, it's like my passion, you know, is, right. is hunting and taking people hunting and, and the whole thing. And so obviously it's kind of your emotions and your feelings get involved and you don't want that to drive you. So, cause you know, a lot of people have done that and, and it can lead to bad, bad places and bad things. And so I, I just prayed that it would be, there would be roadblocks everywhere, you know, if this wasn't what we were supposed to do. Right. And, uh, and man, it was, I mean, we had, 
minor things, but like nothing that would tell you to nothing that would make you feel like we needed to to rethink what we were yeah. doing. It was all affirmation from for most for the most part. Right. So right. now, were y'all running trips before the lodge was finished? No. Okay. So it was that 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 is the foundation, and you move forward from there. That's right. Yeah, we like Josh said, we just spent that first year over there to learn the lay of the land, kind of, and and just really develop relationships with farmers because that's the most important thing is, um, you know, not just like using these farmers for their land, but knowing that we're there for them to profit from it, not just us. And Mm -hmm. I think to be honest, not, uh, there were people that were paying like per day rates, but you know, I mean, it was me being a farmer and knowing how, uh, my family being farmers, knowing how difficult they can be. Sometimes it was important to us for those guys to, you know, get what they deserve from their ground. So it right. really has allowed us to not just develop business relationships, but just close friendships with a lot of these farmers that, that we got to know over the last couple of years. It's been great. Yeah. yeah. Hey, discuss um, the traditions over conditions that's on your website. That, that was intriguing to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's kind of just the idea that, that, you know, it's sort of embraced the suck almost. It's like you, I mean, that, that's because when you're guiding six, when you're guiding 60 days or se, I mean, no, 60 to 60, 70, whatever many days. Yeah. I mean, we got it a lot more than that this year, but I, before I'd guided 60 days, pretty much, you know, 60 to 65 at the last place. And, you know, by the end of it, especially when the hunting, when you know the hunting's going to be tough and the weather's rough, it's like, you know, you just got to embrace the suck. And, and so that's like a really a, a nice way to put, get your butt out of bed and go because it, you know, you're only going to get so many days. Well, and, and, and Oklahoma is, I mean, the weather can get way more nautical than it does in Arkansas. Mm. Uh, you know, there were several days. I mean, some of our best hunts, one of our best hunts this year is we killed me and Aaron's group killed, I think 80 mallards with a, uh, 40 mile an hour wind with 60 mile an hour gusts. <laughs> and I mean, that's just part of it. It's like, you know, you never, you can't say the weather's bad. We're not going to kill anything. Cause man, I mean, that was like one of the best days we had. So it's kind of just like, get up and go. You know, you're tougher than all the elements, and, and you're going to get up and go no matter what. Yeah, it's never yeah, a question fi- of if. Yeah, the physical part, the emotional part, the, you know, because you're worn out, you miss your family, and, you know, there's all those things. So that kind of just encompasses all that. It's like just a reminder to, you know, be thankful for what you get to do. And yeah. and there's a long tradition of people that, you know, have devoted their lives to this activity and and there's so many things that spin off of it you know it's it's like some of the best relationships you'll ever have or your hunting buddies or your hunting acquaintances and all that and yeah man so there's lots of tradition you know that that drives the waterfowl business and the waterfowl industry and so yeah just kind of a cool motto what kind of season did y'all have last year well you want to answer that you want me to jd uh, you, go, you go ahead and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, see I'll, if we agree. <laughs> um, uh, to be honest, I mean, I felt like we had an incredible season. Uh, I think our average, Josh, was what, three birds per person per hunt? It was actually closer to four. And, you know, that may not mean much to most people, but, I mean, I'm, I keep, I'm a record keeper. I keep mm-hmm. very, very detailed records of everything. And, and uh, kind of, if you're doing that over time, you can get you can get an idea of how many 
how, what it takes to to satisfy the average client, you know, um, and and what is good and what's okay and what's great. And so, um, yeah, that four bird, almost four bird per person per day thing, at least for for our customers who are ne- who never hunted in Oklahoma. Most of our guys were used to hunting, you know, in eastern Arkansas and stuff. And, um, you know, a three-bird average per person over there is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really good. Yeah. In Oklahoma, it's a little bit it's a little bit different because you're not just hunting ducks. I mean, you also are, are trying to kill little geese and, and other things. But it's still, I mean, well, you can get close to four. Like, that means you're, every client that's coming is, is having a potential, you know, the opportunity to shoot plenty of birds. Yeah. Well, you're way above what Louisiana was this year. I can tell you that much. Yeah, man, it was tough over there. I mean, Arkansas, really below Missouri, had a tough year. I think you know yep. a lot of different things. I think it, it has to do with farming practices. Uh, people are farming bigger ground, uh, bigger tracts of ground now, so they're not really as much worried about a duck. You know, I know on our farm, whenever we're harvesting rice, we got a machine behind it turning dirt over to get ready to, to plant next year. So, mm-hmm. and just the mild weather that we had and it, it was, it was tough. You know, I felt really sorry for a lot of my friends over in Arkansas that just were really struggling, uh, that, you know, it'll come back up and they'll have a good year, but, but this year was tough. It really was tough for all of y'all. Well, and I, I talk about it on almost every episode that I do when we talk about duck numbers and that the, the amount of land that we're losing in Louisiana, to coastal erosion, Mm. ain't no joke yeah um and we're just getting so much salt the salt water push is getting further and further and further north every year so i mean i've got duck blinds that i hunted when i was you know 10 15 20 years ago that are that's gulf of mexico now wow and when you know i think on average we lose about a football field size area of land every 24 hours Oh my goodness! Whoa. Now that's that's an average over a year, and so over a long over a multiple year period. So if you have a hurricane one year, you're going to lose a lot more. If you don't have any bad weather, it might not be as much. But there ain't as much this year as there was last year, and there's not going to be as much next year as there is this year. And it's changing the entire ecosystem. I mean, we don't have coontail and wild millet and uh, sprangle top like we used to hunt over in the in the freshwater yeah. marshes. It's uh, look. I'll put it to you this way, Josh. You were talking about fly fishing. I chase redfish with a fly rod like a madman, um, and I'm catching redfish up amongst old dead oak trees. Wow. So I mean that you know. I had no idea it was like that. Yeah, that's that's the average is about a football field every day. So what can be? I mean, what are they trying to do? This is taking us well off subject, but I'm interested in. No, it's so it it started. So here's it started when you levy off the Mississippi River all the way to the Gulf. So every spring, when the Mississippi River would flood and deposit sediments, you know that uh, would rebuild land. Well, you levy that off, and instead of that in that alluvial floodplain that starts like around Greenville, Mississippi, the river just kind of flattens out and it, the velocity slows down and that's when it starts to flood. Well, now all of that sediment is brought all the way out to the Gulf of Mexico and now they're having to dredge the mouth of the river so that ships can get up and down the river. And instead of 
gaining land like we used to before they levied the Mississippi River off in the early 1900s. Now we're losing land because salt water is going right up to the city of New Orleans now. And wow. that what was cypress trees and what you would think of, you know, your typical Louisiana backdrop, right? Um, you got to go way north to find that now in a lot of places. And so what they're trying to do, that's a long-winded way to answer your question, is they're trying to do little diversions where they let fresh river water through the levees. But, but I mean, it's not nearly, it's not nearly enough. I mean, it's like a pinhole that you think that's going to undo. No, they would need to unlevy it, wouldn't they? they need yeah, to so there's a, you're exactly right, J.D. In a couple of places that I fish um, – if you follow the river down below New Orleans, like uh, between Port Sulphur on the south end and New Orleans on the northern end of the river, about halfway up or a little bit further than that, there's a little spot called Point Lahash. And what happened during Katrina is part of that levee broke. The eastern side of the levee broke, um, and they never fixed it. Well, now water, river water is used to flowing through there, and that whole place is building up. Wow. that's the way it should be the problem is you have there's a lot of money behind oyster fishermen and commercial fishermen and shrimpers and crabbers and and everything else that you know the well you're going to put us out of business if you just let the river go where it wants to go well you can't have the the salt water coming up knocking on our door and still maintain it there's it's all out of balance yeah you know it's it's it kind of reminds me of the whole biomeda deal going on right now and, and this will be the last thing i'll say about it but you know whether they should you know allow it to be flooded every year or not and you know i, I don't know what the correct uh you know solution is there but it's kind of like the same thing it's like uh you know my dad said everybody's entitled now so they expect it to be flooded when it's duck season well mm -hmm. when he was growing up you might have got to hunt that two weeks of the season but yep. a lot of rivers had to back up in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, you're right. I mean, you know, we've, we've changed things and not, not for hurting waterfowl or anything like that, but it just, it does, you know? Well, and the other thing is people think that they should be allowed to inhabit every piece of green space that God created along the river. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it ain't so. Uh, I mean, you know, the well, you got to keep this from flooding. All right, well, if we keep this from flooding here, we're putting water and sediment someplace where, where it's not supposed to be, and that's throwing this off, and then that's going to throw this thing off, and then that's – it never ends. Yeah. It never ends. But what – so talked about um, in Oklahoma, are most of your hunts over dry fields, or do you hunt a lot of creeks or watersheds or – just depends on where they are, I guess. But it does. I mean, you can find them almost always in both. Um, but you know, the bigger concentrations tend to be using those dry fields because that's where they're feeding. But I mean, like you can find lots of ponds and and sloughs and um, you know water where there there's plenty of them using it to be able to go out and have a banger hunt. You know, mm -hmm. um, this year though. I mean, I don't know, John David. What do you think? We probably hunted. We probably hunted water sixty forty. Yeah, we hunted water quite a bit this year. Yeah, this seemed to be. We just found more birds, you know, 
mm-hmm. and on our places on water than we did on the dry stuff. But, um, yeah, I think every year is going to be different. It just kind of depends on the year. Yeah, I do too. You know, I think that we had some, you know, when we had uh, some feeds that would time well for us, you know, as far as shooting time, stuff like that, we had some pretty incredible hunts, uh, you know, over feeds. And, uh, but, you know, for, I don't know what it was, but it seemed like ducks wanted to feed after shooting hours this year quite a bit. And, <laughs> and it didn't really, they didn't really start hitting the fields like in the middle of the day towards the later of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it was colder and they were needing to feed harder. Um, but that's what I've really enjoyed, man. Kind of like Josh was talking about, Joey, what I, I never did any dry field hunting. You know, I'm always, I've always been standing next to a tree or in a rice I know, field. man. And, uh, when I, the first time, the year before, let's see, last year, right? Year before last, Jan- when we went over 18, there, yeah. um, for my first duck hunt over there, we killed i don't remember how many limits but it was quick it was just wave after wave of nothing but mallards and it was something that i hadn't seen since i was a little kid and so it to be honest going to oklahoma has reignited uh just like a a, a pat not i wouldn't say a passion because i've always had the passion but it was just like brought me back to when i was a little kid when i saw that and yeah. uh it it uh it was just so exciting and i got so excited kind of like josh said i said man that must have been a fluke <laughs> and then and then you know we did it like three or four more times and and uh so anyway yeah you know getting when you catch them right on a feed over there in oklahoma uh, on a dry field to me it's just like standing in the timber and having 60 ducks fall through a little yeah, si- man. you know a whole size of a volkswagen get some um, yeah i mean it's just the sheer numbers is unreal i got to do that last year for the first time in kansas um was shoot a bunch of green heads on a dry field what and did I you just, how did oh, it compare man. for you to the flooded timber stuff um i will always if i had my druthers and my ways i would always be standing next to a tree right um but it would be a hard decision to make yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I ain't got to worry about tripping and getting wet. Uh, that's right. You know? <laughs> that's right. That's right, man. Wear your knee boots and go get it. Yeah, dude. And I forgot my boots one morning. I hunted in my slippers that I went out there with from the camp, and I there was no problem. <laughs> what do you find most of your guys want to do when they come in to uh, for you guys to guide them? Do they have a preference, or it's just like, man, wherever they are is where we're going? Well, I mean, I think our guys all the majority want to shoot ducks because it's you know that's just like what they're used to and and but you know we've taken several groups out on a little goose hunt and once they do it they're like yeah let's let's do that again you know like they're (laughs) they go from being duck hunters to duck and goose hunters but yeah it's kind of just like whatever's going to provide the the best overall shoot is what they want to do for the most part now, is your clientele? Do you find that your clientele is guides that are bringing oh, guides, uh, guys that are bringing uh, customers to entertain, or what is kind of your sweet spot with clientele? Yeah, I think a majority of our clients are, are corporate. Um, right. You know, we do have we have guys that are coming to bring the sons, and we love that. Um, mm-hmm. We love getting to. I mean, that's to be honest, man. That we built this place because uh, we love to shoot stuff in the face, but we also love relationships even more. 
Yeah. And just the relationships that we built this this first year is just God sent. And mm-hmm. uh, and we all know it. And kind of like Josh talked about earlier, that was part of the clarity is just the the incredible relation deep not just surface relationships but deep relationships like i truly think there was life change that happened at falco this uh this season and and it was just you know people that are going to come back every year yeah um but yeah i would say most of them are corporate and uh right josh wouldn't you say so yeah i mean that's you know when you build a place that's this of the of the magnitude that we have you really are going to have you're going to be hard pressed to be able to cover even your cost just booking you know individuals you can't really do it I mean, right it's and you know the place i came from we we were we were we started as a club for individuals and then over time we transitioned to a club for corporations to use mm-hmm. and it grew very quickly and that's you know that's just kind of like it i knew that going into it so you know that's where we wanted to start as opposed to having to we, we you know we, we kind of spent too much on the front end to be able to crawl you know before we walk we had yeah, to go yeah. ahead and get to walking and running immediately yeah, yeah, yeah so um you know that's yeah then that's how you do it is you get corporate clientele and uh and try to keep them on board year after year well, and so with that clientele, I want you to talk about the people that you have to service that, that clientele. Talk about your guides and um, just because it, it, it looks – so from going to a couple of different outfitters here and there, it's like, oh, well, I'll stick you with this guy or I'll wake this guy up and see if he can guide for you. No, 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 no. There, there ain't none of that. Talk about your team. I mean, one one difference, you know, between us and I don't know about all, but probably a lot of outfitting businesses is the owners are on every hunt. We, uh, it'll either be one or both of us uh, or, or one of the four of us on every trip. Um, so you're never, you know, we're never sending you with somebody that is uh, um, not been doing this for a long time. Right. Um, we all have a lot of years of experience, but I mean, not to say we wouldn't, we wouldn't have faith in our, in our mm-hmm. guides, but we have four other rather five other uh full-time guides um let's see three three of them are um, four of them are from oklahoma um so we've got tanner grubbs josh farley uh, austin ferguson hunter riley those boys those four are all from oklahoma and then we have jc long who's the brother of one of our partners harold long now, Hunter has the impressive mustache, correct? Hunter's got the curled mustache, He's got a mustache. Yeah, and the long flowing locks. And you've never <laughs> seen anyone spend more time looking at themselves in a mirror <laughs> than Hunter. But, um, but uh, yeah, so, so or the amount of hairspray that goes into a yeah. mustache. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, we got uh, we got a we just kind of lucked out with a really good crew, and and I think I think our number one. Um, compliment was on our on brian pilgrim's food mm-hmm. mm. who is our he's our chef and uh he's kind of a he's more than just a chef man like he's yeah. kind of the front of house guy and and he's like one of the sweetest personalities you've ever been around in your life and john david Aaron told me that going in and and i had no reason not to believe him so you know it was pretty we just kind of lucked out and already had a built-in a built-in cook chef to come and 
and take care of the food. And we got more compliments on him and his food than anything else. And then probably number two to that was, was the staff and, and yeah. how, how professional everybody was and respectful and, and helpful. And, Oh, it's got to make you feel so good. Yeah, oh, man. man. I mean, cause you know, that can make or break you, honestly. I mean, I've been in the service business long enough to know that. Mm-hmm. And, it only takes one bad apple, honestly, but we didn't really have one, which blew my mind because I think we discussed at the beginning of the year that we would end up probably getting rid of at least one or two and to not have to get rid of anybody and for and to not really have any major explosions. I mean, when you're working 15 plus hours a day, mm-hmm. every single day, I mean, it's hard work. I mean, you're dealing with elements, you're dealing with stress, you're dealing with everything. Fatigue, and, yeah. Yeah, fatigue. And we're people. all, people. yeah, people. And we're trying to glad hand and smile and, and you yeah, know, yeah. be around clients and all that stuff and be service minded. And to do that every day for as long as we did and live in the same bunkhouse and for, you know, to not have a fist fight breakout was kind of amazing to me. And, and we did, man. I mean, we left, I think we all left there really kind of loving each other to be yeah, honest i mean we sure. we uh we grew closer and and leaned on each other and and it, it was really awesome so i mean there again i think that's another god thing i don't that you wouldn't find that in very many places but that's that's another thing that kind of sets us apart from the crowd is is that you know me and jd and aaron are all really um we all we all put a lot of weight on building long lasting relationships with people mm-hmm. so you don't you know you don't come there and just feel like you're you're gonna you're gonna be um sir guess number there. whatever yeah, yeah it's not like not. that man i mean that we don't have anybody that leaves there that, that doesn't feel like they've just made friends and that they could they could text us at, you know at any point in the year to see what's up or you know, whatever, and I don't uh, think there's anybody left that we weren't bro hugging it out as they were getting yeah. in the truck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. And uh, I want to talk about Brian Pilgrim a little more. Um, so he he's our chef, and uh, Brian didn't start as a chef. Brian guided with Aaron. Brian was uh, Aaron's main guide partner at Wildlife Farms. Brian is one of the most savage duck hunters you've ever been with in your life, <laughs> and. Uh, Whenever we were starting Falco, Brian had become a close friend of mine through Aaron. And uh, we had called Brian and basically said, Brian, we want you to come guide with us at Falco. We're doing this thing in Oklahoma. And he was like, oh, okay, well, are there big cypress trees? And we're like, no, bud, there's no cypress trees. And he said, okay, well, uh, is it cold? We're like, yeah, bud, wind blows, it's cold, and it's, but, you know, there's a lot of bird stuff. He goes, huh, can you bark ducks from way high with a cut down? We were like, no, can't do that, bud. <laughs> he thought, and he said, well, how about I just come cook? <laughs> we're, we're like, sold. However we can have you involved in this deal, man, you're in 100%. So we just knew that from the beginning, man. Brian was going to be a big part of this, and he was. You know, I would say that a lot of people, uh, I would say a majority of people that rebook, it's not about the hunting. It's about the experience. And I think that Brian really sets that experience up in that lodge. And uh, people really, you know, get to know him well and uh, just really feel comfortable and at home. It's what a blessing cool. to not have to worry about that. Mm. Oh, it's huge, man. I mean, I, that was because I'm a control freak. John David knows that. And to like, to hand over the keys to the castle to somebody and no, and not have have any doubt that you know whatever goes down is going to be 
taken care of is you know a lot of relief you know yeah because when you when you guys have them in the field have your have your customers or clients in the field you you guys are the boss because you know what's going to happen you can look at what birds like you just said well we don't don't blow cut downs we don't blow the old keyhole cut downs no we got to finesse them a little bit and um whatever you guys say goes because you you know how the birds are going to react and you know what you need to do to to make your customers happy but when those guys get back to the lodge now it's their turn to kind of be waited on a little bit that's absolutely and it it, it's hard i've been in a lot of outfitters where it's hard for the guides or the owner to make that switch change that hat and completely change personalities that's a lot of times why it doesn't work yeah and and we don't you know i think we're around but i mean we kind of hand them over to brian i mean he's like we got, we'll, we'll go up and, and sort of, you know, let off steam or, or take a breather, take a nap or whatever. And then we'll come back down in the evenings and, uh, and, you know, and do our thing, um, in the evening time, kind of get ready for the next day, let them know what we're, what we're planning to do. Um, you know, one caveat to, to hunting out there. And I know pretty much most of those central flyway states are all this way. Um, you got a scout, man. And, and mm. we, we spend, a ton of time and money on fuel to have four guys three i mean at least three to four guys usually it's four um every morning and every afternoon in every direction finding the x you know for for both groups so important so um you know and if you don't have that you you can't you really can't have you can have some success but you're not gonna have consistent success if you don't have that so um, we put a ton of emphasis on that, and, and I think that's why, you know, we had very few days this year that weren't at least good. Um, most were better than good. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so it's, you know, that's a huge part of what we do. And and um, and then, you know, me and John David and Aaron, not not so much Harold. He's he's kind of more of a an operation-minded guy, not much of a um, – he doesn't mingle well other than in a hunting situation <laughs> so he, he'll kind of sit back but the three of us are you know we're all people people and and social butterflies and we'll get in there and and get to know who people are and build those relationships so man it's so interesting meeting and learning about different people mm. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean, because you, you come across all walks. Uh, one of the things I want to know about is how do you guys use what you're doing as a tool for ministry? Oh man. Well, I mean, uh, for one, it's the it's one of the most incredible platforms that you've got because every yes. day we get up and people are looking at us like, "What are we going to do? How are you feeling?" What are you thinking about it? You know, I mean, it's they're they're looking at you like, because we're directing the ship, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, one, I think it's great accountability for us to you know be on top of our spiritual game uh, and totally dependent on Christ just through just through our to get by day to day because we're already exhausted. Um, you know, sometimes we don't want to deal with people, so it makes us wake up every morning and go, "All right, Lord, here we go again." You know, this is for you. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, when you ask us how we use it as a ministry, 
Um, this is just what I feel like we are really good at is hunting and building relationships. And so when you're in that situation, you're going to talk about things that you're passionate about. Well, mm -hmm. what we're most passionate about is, you know, what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and his resurrection. So how is that not going to come through with every group or yeah. come out with every group that's there? Um, we do have to be intentional about it, but man, we had some unbelievable conversations. Um, I think that there was, you know, many people that left there and, and probably went home and got a little more serious about their faith or, uh, you know, kind of got back on track. And we have some, I have like four or five ongoing conversations with guys that we hunted that, you know, just about their faith that, that are still going on. So, yeah, you know, when you ask us how we use it for a ministry, I think anything as a believer, anything that you do is your ministry. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to be a pastor to be a minute to be a, to minister to people. No, so, as a matter of fact, we're we're <laughs> that's that's right out of the book. We are the living uh -huh. epistles, right? Exactly right. So, right on that. That was one of. So you're talking about how intentional you are about relationships. That's one of the things as we go back and forth and you know film different episodes and do different things. When I. I was saved standing up next to a big cypress tree in the Mississippi Delta. I can tell you where my left foot was and where my right foot was mm -hmm. in about 50,000 acres of flooded Tupelo. And I that was December 11th of 2010, and I started Revelation Outdoors, which is just kind of a waterfowl ministry. And I, I just said, man, because somebody will say, how can you look? Man, look at that sunrise. How can you look at that and say there's no God? Well, now I have an answer for him. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Romans one twenty says you can't, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And so it, you're right. It's just it lends itself because you don't have to be stuck in a in a deer stand by yourself or with somebody else and be quiet and don't move and don't make a sound and don't. It, you know, when things are slow, that's why I asked you about Heath Whitmore. He said in one of our very first episodes we hunted with him, he said, you know, it's it's just such a natural. It duck hunting itself is so social. And it just naturally lends itself to being a very effective uh, ministry tool because there's a lot of things that come out in a guy's life when it's slow um, and you get a chance to talk than when it's just fast and furious and over before you even know it started. That's right. And, Joey, I think also, like when you're in a duck blind, Josh, I think you agree with me. I think that's why a lot of business deals get done in duck blinds. I think it's why – I mean, I've watched some – big business deals go down with my dad growing up and, and mm. the duck blind just listen, just sitting back and listening. And mm. I think these guys get out of their natural of, of what, you know, their norm and they get in a blind with guys and they're essentially on a team together. Okay. Yeah. They're all trying to shoot, right. You know, they're giving each other a hard time and, and encouraging each other. And so it puts you in a place to where the, a lot of walls are broken down. You know, we might be sitting next to a guy that owns a, ten billion dollar company and when we're hunting i don't care about his ten billion dollar company and he mm -hmm. doesn't care that uh, you know he he doesn't care what i do we're all we all have the same goal and uh and i think that that that's a huge part of it is, is it kind of puts everybody on an even playing field and everybody has a voice yeah and uh so anyway it's i agree with you man i think it's the best place josh what do you think yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, you guys have pretty much said it all, but I mean, I, in the years that I've guided, it's it's a you know, it just seems like there's always. So number one, you got to be an example. You know, you gotta you have to treat people a certain way, and and kind of 
without coming out and beating them over the head with the gospel, you gotta, you have to walk, you know, if you have to walk the walk as much as you talk the talk. So if you're a, you know, if we, if we treat you overly and abundantly kindly and, and, and you see genuineness in our, in our, you know, approach to, to getting to know who you are, not just, you know, what kind of car you drive, you know, we, we want to know everything about your life. And so I think that kind of opens up the door. It almost always does for those conversations in the blind where it's like, you know, like you said, Joey, let's see that sunset. Look at the feathers on this bird's speculum. You know, if you can look at this and not see a creator, yeah. then I don't know. I don't know if you, I mean, it's just like you scratch your head to understand how people can. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it, like you said, it lends itself to, to so many opportunities. And then almost inevitably, like at some point um, with most groups, there's, there's somewhere there's a lead in to where you can share your faith. And, and to be honest, more, more often than not, it surprises me that the number of people who, you know, may not be um, super devout, but they're, they they jump all over the opportunity to talk about faith and and it, and eternal things and people are hungry for the truth, man. Yeah, they yeah, are. we're all we're all searching, you know, we're all searching for something at, at some point in our lives, and and that platform because it 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 brings in the creation, it brings in relationships and discipleship, and I mean all of those different things just kind of come together in in a a place like this. So. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can think of a better place that you could you could minister to people, um, but like you know, John David and and Aaron and I, we don't we don't go in there and start preaching. I mean, we do no. subtle we do subtle things. I mean, we pray before every meal, um, you know, just just to kind of let that's like the first thing that people understand is like we're gonna, we're gonna pray before we eat, and so that's like their cue that well you know these guys are they're faithful guys. That's what and yeah and, yeah. and then. You know, beyond that, you just kind of get led down these these roads to where you can have discussions with folks. And we did. We had some really unbelievable um, conversations with people that that needed to know Jesus. You know, that mm. are hopefully going to at some point. And and if we can be any part of that, that's that's our goal. And you know what's funny is sometimes you get a group of guys together, and this happened to me last. This was in Kansas last year, um, hunting with a big group of people with a buddy of mine in Kansas who had stayed at his uh, his lodge, and they asked us about you know what are we filming for, and so it's really natural for us when people yeah. are like, oh, what are y'all filming for? TV? No, a ministry. Let me tell you about it. Mm. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so I was talking to one guy who these four or five guys had come up together. I was talking to one guy and he's like, yeah, man, let me tell you about my relationship with the Lord, blah, blah, blah. And he's going into it. And the guy sitting next to him, he goes, oh, you're a believer. So am I. And he starts telling me a story. I'm like, no, wait a minute. You guys have been hunting together for how long? Wow. And they didn't even know that the other was a believer. Right. And I'm like, man, that's. But I start thinking it like, I don't know how many of the people that I run into every day that I know well, but I don't know well. Mm -hmm. Right. And that really opened my eyes up to how intentional I have to be about not only talking it, but walking it. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, is like, there's a, there's a fine line between, um, I don't know really how to verbalize this, but I think it, I think it really helps when, when for the walls to come down, when people don't feel like you are, they feel like you're, a, you're kind of, you're like them, you know? Oh yeah. 
but you're, you know, at the same time, you're different. And then, and then they get curious about what, what's different about this guy. You know, like he's yeah, not, yeah. he's not telling me I'm going to go to hell if I don't, you know, he's not <laughs> beating me over the head with, with the hellfire and brimstone stuff, but not yet. there's yeah. just something. Yeah. Well, not yet. Exactly. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get there eventually, yeah. but you know, um, yeah, you got to soften them up before you can. Well, and you know, you, that's a good point. That's a good point, John, uh, because here's the thing that, that kept me from Christ for 40 years was religion. Yeah. And not I'm not talking about, you know, going to church and praise and worship and everything. I'm talking about the do's and don'ts and because I would look at guys. I went to church on Christmas and Easter. I said we were CEOs Christmas and Easter only when I was growing up. <laughs> so, so, but I would look at the men in, in church that were sitting there with their white and they just looked bored. Uh, I mean, there was like, and I'm like, I, I just, I, I can't G haul with these dudes, man. I mean, none of them hunt, none of them. They just look like they, well, I'm here to do, you know, whatever. They just didn't look very engaged. Like they're just but, ready to go back to work. Yeah. Yeah. Just going through the motions kind of thing. Um, and some of them just look like they just weren't, I I just didn't look like I could fit in with those guys. But then once I started really figuring out, I don't know, have you guys read, uh, wild at heart from John? John I bought every guide that came (laughs) to Falco this year. I bought every one of wild at heart. Such Uh, a good book. Yeah. Well, I mean, Man, it just puts a different perspective on what people typically think about Jesus. Yeah. Um, you it know, wasn't soft. You know, no, it takes the feminine Mm-mm. side of Jesus out of it and allows you to see yes. that he's a, he was a man. And, that's, and when you, he comes back, he's going to be the biggest man. That's right. Um, but, yeah, go ahead. That's a great book. So I was going to say, he has another one called Beautiful Outlaw. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? Have you read that one? I haven't read it yet. I've oh, seen it. Oh, man. So... It, what you just talked about taking the feminine side of Jesus away, that book is all about that. Like all through the Gospels, like how was he just like us? I mean, how – so you look in like John 20 or 21 where the guys are fishing and he says that he walked up the beach and he kept himself hidden from them and asked them if they had caught anything. And they said no. He said, well, try the other side of the boat. And he's kind of playing this little hide-and-seek game with them. And then when they realize it's him, they pull the boat up on the on the uh, on the shore, and it said that he had a hundred and forty, hundred and fifty four large fish. And I said that's typical fisherman that you have Jesus sitting here, and either you took the time <laughs> to count them, say I have a hundred and fifty four biggins, or Jesus just leaned back and goes, yeah, there's a hundred and fifty four. Don't worry about counting. But and slabs, <laughs> yeah, slabs. That's right. And so, but the funny thing is, man, about that story, and it's in the Gospel of John. He says, you know, Jesus, he didn't go, hey, meet me at the uh, at the synagogue or at the temple for a Bible study or whatever. No, he kicked back with his boys on the beach and had a barbecue. Right. And I'm like, man, I can get down with that. See, that's the, yeah. and I think if more men understood that we have the perfect picture of what true masculinity looks like. Um, in the person of Christ and his humanity, it's, we, we have the model sitting right there and he's not soft. He's not, you know, he did, you mean to tell me he didn't laugh. He didn't have a good time. He knew all this. Jesus is just sitting back. He's so serious all the time, man. He invented laughter. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I imagine him kicked back at the wedding making 180 gallons of really good wine. I'm sure yeah. everybody was laughing. Yeah, you're right. And I just think that if guys could stop for a second and really consider his humanity, it makes him a whole lot more relational. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's right. the and, way I and try. And to be it. honest, that's what, you know, Joe, that's what we're trying to, to get across is yeah, that man. we're real people. We screw up. And every day we got to hit our knees and and get right before the Lord every day because we're we're gonna fail you, but we know somebody that's not gonna fail you mm-hmm. ever. And uh, you know, like Josh was saying, you know, I think it's what's so great about Falco is I know just in you know ministry with people around where I live. You know, you've got to get to know people, and mm-hmm. they got to get to know that they're not a project to you um, before you can ever speak into their life. Mm. Um, and so I think that that's why, you know, relationally we put so much emphasis on that just to get to know people because we know that, um, God has more for us and for more for them. And, and to get to that conversation, you've got to get to know them. They got to trust you first. So, yeah, um, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So what happens around the lodge during the quote unquote off season? (laughs) Well, not a lot <laughs> right <Okay>. now. <laughs> I went over there a couple of days, or uh, yeah, a couple of days ago, and it looked like it had been abandoned. Honestly, we've got <laughs> ryegrass growing into our beds, and oh boy, it needs a little bit of uh, TLC right now. Um, but no, I mean, long term down the road, I mean, it's still brand new, and and we're, um, you know, I think what we would like to do is is to, you know, offer it up as a as a corporate outing for corporations mm-hmm. to come and do meetings and family reunions. Uh, we, we have booked our first wedding for the, uh, spring of 2020. Um, you know, that but place I mean, makes me want to get married again, man. I'd come out there and marry my wife. <laughs> come on, man. Again. It's a really cool, it's, it's a really cool place to just come and hang. Um, if, if you're not the kind of person, especially in the office that needs to be doing stuff all the time. I mean, we have, we have, um, a five stand range that's really awesome you've probably seen the pictures of shooting it at night uh-huh. um we've got a an upstairs game room slash bar with shuffle boards and poker tables and stuff like that and then right um and honestly like i don't i don't know if there's a better a better time than sitting on that back porch overlooking yeah. what is our wetland i mean so when you're there the back patio sits on a hill the whole lodge sits on a hillside and it kind of slopes down about 30 feet gradually and then you're overlooking 120 acres of wetland and uh you know it, in the winter time it's it's just gorgeous i mean it's like mm. you can't even really describe it unless you're there looking at it but um well yeah sitting out around that on that back patio and you can see for miles i mean you can see yeah know how many miles it is but it's a, a really gorgeous view and sitting around the fire pit and we've got a big flat screen out there and, and you can play music and and um it's just a cool place to hang man um so who knows i mean it's hard to say what what the future will hold as far as the off-season stuff well and and our upland bird stuff josh you know we're we're, this next year we're uh implementing upland bird hunts Mm -hmm. and uh you know we're really pushing our dove season last last dove season we had groups come in just day hunt as we were building the lodge but this year we'll be able to actually lodge people and and we're doing pushing our dove season, which we had an incredible dove season last year. Um, but uh, yeah, so with the upland bird, you know, we'll be able to start that 
I guess right after dove season, right, Josh? Yeah. So I mean, like John David said, last the the first year we were still finishing up the lodge. We weren't. We had to actually. We didn't even book anybody in the first part of November because we just weren't ready yet. But um, this year we're gonna book as we're gonna try to book out our dove season, and then the between September and uh, the beginning of duck season in uh, November, we're gonna probably offer put and take pheasant and chucker hunts and then uh that'll be like a supplemental deal through waterfowl season Mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll carry over all the way through march doing those after the goose the end of goose season in mid-february so we'll kind of be able to go from september all the way through mid-february as opposed to just november through um mid mid mid-february i'm sorry september through uh the end of march rather um so that gives us more more time to generate revenue and and allow people to come and experience the place and Mm -hmm. and then you know the off season will be end of march through august basically so kind of um that's when we would do all the all that other stuff are you in a spot that lends itself to turkey hunting or no we are man um but I think it, the problem is, is we all like to turkey hunt too much. And I, I, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, uh, this is the first year I've ever had to be able to kind of take a breather and go. Unfortunately, John David's working even harder now, probably than he did at five. Yeah. Um, and Aaron, Aaron is too, but I'm fortunate enough to, I, I was gone the last couple of weeks and I'm going the next week and the week after that and the week after that too. So I'm kind of on a turkey tour for 19 and I'm, it's been pretty awesome get some dude yeah yeah i think that's to be honest i think with all of us turkey hunting is a little bit of a release and, right. and kind of where we can hit reset so yeah i think we're I, i'm not saying that we won't ever do it but uh you know as for right now that's just kind of our time to yeah a little bit of me ourselves. time right yeah that's right yeah no doubt. that's right so one question before i let you guys jump looking back on the last what's it been two and a half since you guys broke ground and decided to, how long? It was last years? April. Okay. When we broke what, ground. What would you do differently? Mm. That's a good question. That's a very good question. I mean, my initial off the hip would be not a thing. Good. Yeah. I mean, I think um, in the beginning, before we started having customers show up, I had it in my head that the place wasn't, not not the place the the common space wasn't big enough mm-hmm. and um and then you know kind of watching people use it over the course of the season and and people commenting they're like well i don't know i don't i can't i still can't put my finger on why or what it is but people come there i mean even guys that have been to you know hooray ranch and mm-hmm. i mean you know you've seen hooray mm-hmm. i mean they've, they've put a bunch of money into their infrastructure and um, guys that have been to the nicest places in the country. You know, we had several guys that had been to all, like they'd been to Honey Break and they'd been to Habitat Flats and they'd been to Hooray and they'd been to all those other places, you know, that are kind of world renowned. And um, they just said they, they can't put their finger on why, but there's just something about Falco that's different, you know, and it just kind of feels like a second home. And that yeah. was honestly exactly what we wanted to go for. And I, I don't think it's just the building or the way it's furnished or decorated. I think it's, I think it's that you're coming to a really incredible setting and, and you're getting to be around people that you can tell genuinely care about you. Yeah. I was going to say that's something you can't build with hammer and nails. That's right. Yeah. You just, you can't do it. Um, 
I have, so let's see, I'm going to tell people to go to falcooutfitters.com. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to tell people to go to falco underscore underscore outfitters for Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, at falco outfitters and Facebook, and then falco outfitters on YouTube. That's right. And, um, you know, for the people listening to this, we, we are, we are abundantly fortunate right now. And I, I hope it stays this way and I don't know, but I don't know if it's going to, but right now we are, um, we, we don't have plans to increase our capacity at all. Mm-hmm. We're trying to do 16 people a day as you know, better than anyone in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now our calendar is just about, I mean, it's basically full, and we have a long, long waiting list. So um, not to say that I don't want everybody to to hit us up, yeah, um, yeah. but I'm just trying to – I mean, if you want to get on the waiting list, absolutely. We would love to put you on the waiting list. But I think it's funny because, like, most of the guys that email us or call us or text us or whatever, they just can't believe that a business this new is in that – is in that position already <laughs> it's like oh. we're it's almost like we're feeding them a line and, and we're not man yeah. I, mean, I, I am uh i mean we're beyond blessed to be in that position already and um but it, it's the truth so that's that's for waterfowl but you know i think like dove season and stuff like that i think we've got some openings and then uh mm-hmm. you know later on and uh with upland bird through march you know i think we'll, right. we'll probably yeah. have some openings so. yeah that's for that's for waterfowl season only yeah yeah. Did I leave anything out that you guys wanted to talk about? No, man. No, man. I, I don't, I can't think of anything else. I think it's been great. Josh, my wife, my wife is glaring at me and I'm just giving her a shout out. She's uh she's a rock. She's my rock. Oh man. Yeah. John David's just two and Aaron's Let's just two. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. they, they sacrifice a lot. We all have kids and they're taking care of them while we're gone for four months at a time. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No my doubt. My wife is a rock star. Yeah, mine, you know, when I when we pack up and we go film all the way, we drive a drag a eighteen foot decoy trailer with forty dozen tangle free decoys in it all the way to Saskatchewan from Baton Rouge mm-hmm. and come home and say, Yeah, in two days we're going over here to film and then we're gonna be gone for a week and then two another two days. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's just you know There you go, man. You know, wow. but we've always been. If there's something that needs to be handled, and it's happening during duck season, I, you know, you just you handle up on it. But, yeah, it's gonna get handled. Yeah, yeah I, right. I would uh, also, you know, to finish up, I would encourage anybody that's kind of following us and paying attention. We've got a lot of things on the horizon that are, you know, if they play out, are gonna really expand our, our, um, I guess you'd say our footprint a little bit. I mean, we mm-hmm. we've talked about. Um, several different things and obviously we're going to be very strategic in what we do and we don't do but if they all if things fall into place you're going to see falco even more prevalent you know in other places too so anything you can talk about or no well i mean we yeah i mean i'm not afraid to talk about it we've we've kind of uh we've got the very i mean this is very very beginning stuff i mean we don't have uh a a strategic a set plan for for anything yet but um but we may we may end up moving into Canada here in the not so distant future, right. and kind of trying to expand our footprint there. Um, we are already um, in the process of, of developing more habitat in Oklahoma mm-hmm. beyond our the original 120 acres that we we started with, and um, 
and then there's a chance we we you know could expand into a uh, a snow goose operation in Arkansas too. So, mm. boy, they need a bunch of killed there. They do. They oh do goodness! Sure. So, Tell my family about it. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, all those things end up falling into place, and we we've, we've got a lot bigger footprint than we we've already started with, and just takes more money and more people and yeah. <laughs> more that's of a all. headache, honestly. But that's all. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited for you guys, man. It, it just does my soul good to see brothers and sisters in Christ just working together and succeeding and, and doing what – actually having the faith and the courage to step out and do what God is calling them to do. Yeah, well, thank it's you, just Joe. good, man. We appreciate Thanks, that. Man. And it's you just too. Good. I mean, what you're doing with Passion Pursuit and, yep. and everything, man, we love it. So. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, next time when we're on our way through Kansas or whatever, now I know where to go and blow the horn when I pull up. You dang right. Absolutely. You're always welcome. Well, guys, have a great night. I appreciate it. Um, And just a super conversation. I appreciate it so much. You bet. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yep. Thank you so much, Josh and John David, for joining me. I love your story. And testament to God's faithfulness for those that truly seek him and trust him. It's such a great story. You guys, please make sure to follow Falco on Instagram and Facebook and take a take a peek at their new lodge. It is truly a one-of-a-kind location. If you are looking to entertain guests or clients or customers and you want to make sure that you do it in a place and with people, that know how to take care of your guests, clients, or customers, give Falco a call. These guys are true professionals in hospitality, entertainment, and best of all, they kill a lot of birds. Also, don't forget to hang over, don't forget to head over to tanglefree.com and use the promo code PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, at checkout to get free shipping on your entire order. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and help us continue moving up the charts. We appreciate you guys so much. That's it. That's the end of the show for now. And until next time, bye-bye, y'all.